Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how you doing? Uh, I'm good, Shad. I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You had a you had a little bit of a turkey day trot, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> I was making a veiled reference to something, but do we, sure do, we wanna, do we want to do a quick rundown? Oh, of, that. Uh, do we want that? Do a, oh, okay. Do we want right, to do a sorry. quick rundown Hang on of just that? A second. Wait, let me, Matt. Say that again for me real quick, and I'll give my uh, my unfiltered opinion. Are you ready? I'm back. I'm home. So that promo kind of went over like a wet fart, I take it? I uh, did. Well, I, I didn't watch it, but from what I heard, it did not go over well. Uh, it, uh, for example, on Twitter, that's where I see a lot of reaction. Uh, the, the, tr- the trending term was PG Punk. Uh, he basically, what I heard, gave like a well. The the return on at Survivor Series, PCM Punk returned to the WWE. Uh, that was like well received, I guess. Uh, and then he was on Raw I mean, on but, Monday, and but, and basically gave like a brief like promo that everyone was trashing. And, and allegedly, people were like trashing Raw that it was like a boring, awful. Oh, Raw. did you look at the card? Like they did, they did like Bronson Reed versus Ivar for like a like a nine minute no finish match. And then they it, had it was... like and this is the one I don't understand. Like they had Nia Jax beat Zoe Stark. Like you just had her lose at the pay per view. She's not very established and you jobbed her again. Like what what are you guys doing? I don't know. My... It was it was not well received. It was apparently most people thought it was poor and which was hilarious because once it was like trashed online. Oh yeah, uh, the triple H wasn't like... there. Yeah, Cage Match gave it like like an under under. The, I guess they had Cage Match had been like giving relatively good ratings to Raws lately. Oh, a, bad, I guess. a bad Raw, like an average terrible Raw, was getting like a, almost an eight on Cage Match. Yeah, like the last six. And months. this got like under a five. Ooh. And as soon as like that poor reaction, like the PR machine was like, oh, actually the Triple H wasn't there. He he wasn't there last night. He uh, yeah, it's sure. like really he wasn't there at the Raw. Um. After one of the major pay-per-views of after, the year, like after Survivor the Series, biggest, one of the major pay-per-views. After probably the biggest signing you've had since Cody, and of your era, like the first like actually like decent signing you've ever had. Like, yeah, I'm sure. What I don't get about it is okay. So I'm I'm gonna I don't like Punk, but let's I'm gonna I'm gonna take this from like an objective, non-biased standpoint. You had a chance to kind of. You got a bunch of new eyes checking in for for Punk. Why did he not open the show, and why did you not like immediately give him like direction? 
Because so, I don't think that they necessarily have a firm direction. I think I think that they're going to do CM Punk versus Seth Rollins. Which is terrible. At, like, Rumble. Which is terrible though, because like <laughs> I'm just gonna straight up say, like, I know I know we don't like him on the show, but I'm I'm literally doing this from an unbiased perspective. You have CM Punk who does have star power and is like you know, has a novelty in WWE. It's the same thing with Cody. You do not want the stink of the beta cuck title on him. Well, like, I think that it's better, honestly, to send him after Rollins because they're sending him after Roman. There's not a good outcome. If you send him after Roman and he loses, then he suffers the same thing that, oh, I don't know. Cody and LA Knight and Sammy all suffered in the past year and, yeah, but damages I, your new hot signing. And if he wins, then you have taken the op- the biggest opportunity to establish a new top baby face and given it to an injury prone person who probably will not be around that long. My, my, and I'm not even saying that as a fight thing. I'm saying he's in his mid 40s. He got hurt a lot. And I doubt that he's going to be doing more than one contract. Right? And I, I, I will say one thing countered what you're saying, though, in a slight disagreement, though is I don't think him beating Roman would be a good thing, and him losing to Roman's not a good thing. But business-wise, he's the only person that would give the audience hope of him losing. Roman? Yeah. Yeah. Because they've... I don't know. They don't know. That's the problem. And that's... You know what I think's funny about this, though, is the wrestling, like, business, like, the journalism business is so devoid of like credibility and like people actually doing their jobs that no one acknowledged that their business was slowing down until the signing happened. And I'd been saying it for what, how long have I been saying their business had slowed down? Have I been saying that for like a month? You've been saying it for a bit. Yeah. Like sharply, like their attendance had declined like by two or 3000 a show. And no one really talked about that. And I think, I think from the perspective of that, he's going to help their business, but the, where, where I think he's a Band-Aid fix is their problem's a booking problem. And talent's not going to fix booking. No. And I think I think the end of SummerSlam really hurt them because people caught on that um, they don't have a plan to end the Roman uh, reign. And I think it's fine to not have a plan, but you can't let the audience know you don't have a plan. Because once they smell that there's no plan, they're going to run away. It's kind of what killed. It's actually interesting with the bloodline. They're making like all the same mistakes WCW made with the NWO. And in a lot of ways, they're doing it worse with the mistakes. Yeah, because yeah, I, Hogan, like in the NWO, I'm sorry, Matt, give me just a second. I'll get yeah, my yeah, point no real quick. In the NWO stuff, they would like they ran, they they would talk a big game, but they weren't presented as dominant. They were like, God, I hate those guys. Somebody get the belts off of them, but you know how do you how do you do that? It it was not like oh this is the most dominant thing ever and you should love it. And by the way, massive interference. Uh, you know, very different. I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Uh, I to that point, I would also well I would also add the to the to Brad's larger point about how like SummerSlam may have been like uh maybe a turning point of sorts i also think it doesn't help by the fact that 
since SummerSlam to then, it's like Roman, I think, has maybe been in like one of the match. Maybe. What is the match? Maybe is two. the same match every time. Like it is, but I mean, on like... it's 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 been months now, and he's appeared like once or twice, maybe. It's it it, it people if they maybe had thoughts otherwise, it's like the fact that the guy has, does, doesn't show up. He's done like eleven matches this year. It's it's well, about like once once a month. Well, that's that. the, that's the other problem too with getting <clears throat> punk like this is even if you wanted to shoot him right into a program with Roman to like really jumpstart things you can't do it because roman's not going to show up for another six weeks that's not and you don't he would look bad if you uh if you had punk just out there cutting promos on him every week mm-hmm. uh i don't i don't know what you do i guess you could have Heyman come out there but maybe that would be an interesting dynamic because you know punk's a Heyman guy as they say but i don't know i i don't think it really helps roman to just have Heyman be the surrogate, not show up or whatever like that. But I agree. It's like, do you have, I, I don't think you should have punk be the one to be Roman, even though uh, I personally am. I, I said after we, we kind of did a review or discussion about mania in 2022. And mm-hmm. since after that, I was like, I'm done with the Roman show. And mm-hmm. since then he hasn't lost the title. We're almost like, we're all, we're a year and a half since then. And he mm-hmm. hasn't dropped the title. Uh, it's really I, sad. I, I thought I we were talking thought, about this year, and I was like, then, "Oh, I we're a year behind." It. It's 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 just a problem that gets worse. Uh, so I'm so over Roman. I, I want Roman to just not be the champion anymore. They literally had to create a bullshit like third title so that there was a world. T- title for because otherwise Roman and they sold it as that they sold it as the oh Roman is so dominant here that's why I call it the beta cuck title because yeah that's why that's why that's why I don't think I'm glad they didn't give it to Cody and they shouldn't give it to Punk because like if you have that belt like you have the stink of loser on you yeah like it's fine it's fine to have Rollins have it because Rollins already a bitch like no one cares (laughs) that said that said they they're still pulling bullshit where it's like they could have had Drew McIntyre win the title. He still lost. And it's like you won't even give Drew McIntyre like the secondary bullshit title. And he's now supposed to. I mean, he he, he probably will resign because he wants a fat paycheck, too. But it's also like why would he outside of money? Like, why would he stick around? Like, you won't even give him the bullshit secondary title. And now you added a dude like Punk. And like, is, who, is Rollins who's even, now going to take like a spot he's going to, in theory, have? Is Rollins even like a face or a heel? Because I don't know. It seems like it changes from like show I to think, show. I think he's actually supposed to be a face. Because he was on the face side of Survivor Series. But he's still like the same annoying, giggly bitch character. So <laughs> it's like, I, I can't necessarily see you as a face. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's not to me like a, necessarily like a face presentation. You know, you know what um, cracks me up about that is because um, this is someone that's in our private group. If you're in other groups, you might know him, but so we call him Other Brad because he has a same oh, yeah. name as me. But you know, he's usually not like he's usually critical, but like he's not necessarily always on the same wavelength as us. Mm. And which is fine yeah which is fine i like him he's a cool dude i've actually tried to get him on the show before and i i'm going to someday but 
So we it was just some random things like I don't get the Seth, the Seth Rollins gimmick. Just out of nowhere, we're like <laughs> we all started cracking up. We're like, yeah, no one gets the gets that gimmick. Giggly it's, bitch. That's the. Uh, yeah. It's that's like it's such a hello fellow kids thing. I think is the problem with it. Yeah. Uh, this whole thing baffles me. Like, we got to this point because the company had to take the worst tack with Roman that it could take. Instead of it, there, there is a super easy solution of. You go back to because the whole thing about Roman holding the title has always been the start from him holding the universal title and Brock had the WWE title. All you had to do, all you had to do was when Cody won the Rumble, he said, and they're like, oh, you're not coming for these. He says, no, I won the Rumble to challenge for a title. And he points to he points the the universal title. He goes, I don't care about that one. He points the WWE title. He said, I want that one. And then you could have Cody take that one and do everything exactly the same since, and it would be miles better. Yeah, but then but, Roman would look bad for five seconds. Would he look worse than he's been? The guy has had in this. The guy has had fewer matches by the end of 2023. He will have less than a match a month. Didn't other Brad say he had 11 matches this year? Yeah. He yeah, has 11 well, I, matches, and he's I not scheduled to work the rest of the year. And weren't two of them yeah. on Blood Money shows? He pretty sure. I think, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, his look, last one was last one was against uh, L.A. Knight, which, yeah. of course, he won. God forbid the popular new babyface. Hey, remember remember when Punk was, like, all indignant at Miz because, about Blood Money shows, and now he's he's getting ready to <laughs> suck that, um, that Arab cock. Yeah, I mean, I I said it on like the Twitter. It's like on our Twitter. It's like at the end of the day, like the WWE, the Fed, the Fed fans don't care. They don't care. They're not going to care about the hypocrisy. People who are punk fans, they don't care about the hypocrisy. They actually think that he did nothing wrong. Yeah, because they're which it's astounding to me. It's astounding to me because it's like I don't know where. Take aside everything. I don't care if you love punk. You may love him, but you have to understand. Like there is I can't think of another industry. And this is really sadly a testament to how screwed up the the wrestling industry is. I can't think of another industry where you can physically assault coworkers, not once, but twice. And you still get to continue to work there. Well, really, you should even be able to continue to work in that profession. I mean, you should be labeled a danger that is like too unstable to get like consistent work but hollywood you, i mean hollywood like getting work is predicated on raping people so i mean they're at least I mean, slightly yes. better than that i mean the guy yeah. from the guy from um ferris bueller's day off got fucking work after he got arrested for the child porn shit oh was was beetlejuice before or after ferris bueller after oh god okay he got work after that like that's how that's how that's how fucked Hollywood so, is. Yeah, even even in the NFL, if you start a fight with teammates, other teams don't really want to pick you up. And I uh, mean, like, I mean, fucking Alec Baldwin's gonna get work and he killed someone. God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there, there, there's the bar is, is Hollywood. It just, 
Look, fine, whatever. I don't understand the the punk writers. It's like you you can't you cannot the refusal to acknowledge that he could have had any fault in anything that has happened. I appreciate the one guy. Which um, one guy? Matt posted stuff he had said earlier today where he's like. He pretty much is like, yeah, I'm a punk fan. Yeah, he's a hypocrite. Yeah, he's a fucking jackass. I'm still a fan of his in-ring work. Like, I was like, okay, I appreciate the honesty. Okay, that's, that, that, you know what? Fair. Was that that a, guy, I would say, you know what? Fair. That's that's okay. Was but, that a, was that backup hangman? Yeah. Or yeah, I, I appreciate I, it. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. That's, his name is like I-B-O-U. Uh, hold on. Yeah, I-B-O-U. Yeah, I, he's on the Wrestle Purist, which I think has a podcast, and they're kind of like a connection of guys. And his content, I feel, is like pretty interesting. Uh, I don't agree with all of it, obviously. He's obviously very, very pro-punk, uh, which I'm not. Uh, and I used to be like a fan of punk, really, but it, I just the nonsense has been too much. But I, I do, I did appreciate that too. I agree. Like he, he basically likes the fact. Yes, Punk is like a, basically a messy bitch. She's like, but that's what I like about him. Uh, but even he was like critical of the promo last night in Raw, uh, which I think is honest. It's like he's not just like, oh, it's like the some of these people that are just blind homers. It's like, oh, it's amazing. Uh, there's a guy on Twitter I just saw like something he said where it's like, it's the most disingenuous nonsense where it's like, oh, Tony Punk, like uh, CM Punk really pulling over on Tony Khan and and everything like that, like. He's not. He didn't talk about AEW. Whatever. He no sold AEW. And it's like, I just want to bang my head against the wall. It's like, oh, you mean that CM Punk didn't go on there and uh, cut a promo on AEW when he has a non-disclosure agreement in place that he can't say shit Wait about them, or else he's going to get sued into oblivion. Also, oh, he really, he really pulled one over on Tony Khan and AEW also, by abiding by their legal documentation. I mean, he's stupid. It's but so you know, stupid. You know what would happen if he had done that? <laughs> TMZ would have suddenly had the security footage of everything he did today. If he oh, yeah, there's, that. um, yeah, there's, I'm sure, like, I, and there's more than enough stuff that they probably have. They it, probably have all sorts of crazy stuff from, like, Brawl Out. Like, yeah. I'm sure they do. But, I mean, that's, like, I mean, I don't particularly like it when AEW does it, but, like, number one should never snipe at number two like that. Like, that is beneath you. Like, mm-hmm. um... Like in the Monday Night Wars, like WWE pretty much stopped doing that when they got into first place because it's tacky. Like that is that is for like number two to do to like speak mm-hmm. to their more niche fan base. And it doesn't it doesn't work the other way. It just comes off stupid. And um, yeah, I, I didn't think they did a good job. I, like you had a chance to really rope people in. You needed Punk to come out. I would have had him wrestle. I would have had him come out, cut a promo Someone interrupts him, and then they have a match right there. Just get all that out there. Give the people tuning in for Punk what they want, and they might hang around. Like, give them something to latch on to. They gave, they gave them nothing. Like, this is the, the shit Triple H does that I hate. Like, also, like, the other thing that's come out, why, why is Jade Cargill in, in the Performance Center? Why is she or why isn't she? No, why is she? Like you, you posted something I think last week that someone's been working with her in the performance center and is like, I have no idea why she's here. She's already better than like all the other women on the roster and knows what to do. The, that's and that's a, a very sad indictment of the roster in NXT because Jade Cargill I don't think is very good. 
And I feel like you and I disagree because you, I think you feel she's better than I personally think she is. Like, and and Triple H basically he was asked about it at like I guess the the, the post pay per view press conference and he basically was he uh, he used it as a way to, to trash AEW um basically saying like oh they didn't train her so we had to retrain her but it's like they it's not about training per se because i mean she was getting training by another than like brian danielson i highly doubt that he's a garbage trainer but i just don't think she's very good i mean she's so not, i i don't think she's amazing <clears throat> or anything but i think if you she's better than nia jack she's better than zoe stark she's better than like half the shit they throw out there every week is really my point um, and, and, um, and I just, think you, I think you another could... thing to throw out there, Brad, give me just a second quick. Um, she is not going to get better doing stuff once a week at the performance center. She needs reps. She needs matches to grow. Yeah. Just staying in the performance center, showing up once a week is not going to help her get better. And I don't think, I don't think her, I think she's pretty close to her ceiling. I think she's just someone that's. Not got a great aptitude to it, but who is a good athlete and knows how to be a star. Like, I just think you should not have put her on TV if this is what you were going to do. Yeah. Because you wasted the buzz. Like, the reason I would have just put her on TV is she knows how to be a star. Like, put her in little squashy squash matches and um, get her over. Because she knows how to be a star. Yeah. And you can do that stuff. You can just have her whoop some ass. Because the thing and... is, the thing is, they're gonna they're gonna put her through the performance center for a year. People are gonna forget about her, and they're going to beat the uniqueness out of her. And then she's just gonna be nothing when they finally use her. Well, and nobody will care. Cause yeah. Like, oh, she's been gone for a year. Oh, oh, okay. I remember when she first showed up. I thought that was gonna be important. That's like the Triple H special. I don't. Who else debuted? And maybe. There was someone else he just did that with where, like, they came back and they did nothing for, like, months and months, and it's just stupid. I can just tell you that from my experience, training only gets you so far. You have to get out there and get in front of the crowd and have matches and get the reps in to get better. And it's just it's not going to happen in the performance center. It's not. She has to get out there and do stuff. Well, and anything, anything that's come out about their training at the PC too is sounds like it's garbage. That like they don't really even train them. They just have them doing like Hindu squats and bump drills for no which reason. Which is also bad because you're putting unnecessary wear on them, and that means yeah, they're going to get hurt more. So anyway. So we were actually the 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 main topic for tonight goes a bit further back um, to something that's a bit more fun. What what was it we were going to talk about, guys? Survivor Series '88. The Survivor Series. Nice Survivor Series '88. This match was two or this show was two and a half hours long and had four matches on it. Yes, but it was it was brisk. It was it moved at a great pace. Um, yes, it, it, that's not. It's not. That sounds bad. It's not. It's yeah. not the way it sounds. I that's wish, I wish the shows laughing. nowadays were like two and a half hours instead of like, like 
eight hours of can stuff. I, can I just say, like, this show really made me miss, like, the simpler presentation of bygone eras. Mm-hmm. Like, I just miss uh, them coming out to music. I miss, like, the backstage promos. There's no, like... I'm not being assaulted by graphics every, like, five seconds. And I'm, like... Steady camera shots. Yeah, I don't have announcers, like, screaming catchphrases at me. And it's, like... Oh, um, that move, that mediocre move is brought to you by, like, the Trojan condom, like, instant replay. <laughs> yeah. Like, no glove, no um, love, guys. But. So, just as a backstory, uh, I, I, this, so I got into wrestling years after this show even aired, but I was able to watch a lot of old stuff, I think I mentioned before, because, like, basically local video stores had a lot of this old stuff from oh, Coliseum yeah. that was like a treasure trove back in the day yeah and when I got into wrestling I basically tried to devour as much content as I could put my hands on so you know over the course of uh, like maybe like the first year or two since I was in when I was into wrestling I would just, just get my mom uh, to rent all these like, <laughs> on the weekend where I would have time to watch it or like over the summer I would watch it but I I got all this content, uh, watched the videos. And I want to say this is probably the first Survivor Series I ever saw. Uh, but I because of this... I 90 was the first one I ever saw. I'm pretty sure it was this one for me. But I became enamored with the classic uh, four versus four or five versus five elimination match to the point where it's probably my favorite gimmick match of all time outside of war games war games is my favorite uh outside of that i actually think the just like the <laughs> traditional survivor series elimination match my my favorite they do so, this a lot in japan like this is a typical like cow show gimmick mm-hmm. match four versus four five versus five or elimination yeah the the, the the elimination match like 10 man they usually call them like 10 man elimination matches and stuff and it's just the same concept new japan likes to do it a lot okay i think it's a good i think it's a good use for house shows that gets a, a lot of guys out there they don't have to do much like i can see why that'd be a popular gimmick match for house shows Unless your own heart, nice. then you broke your balls. Oh, yeah. The The nice thing about doing this is you get to see all of those guys who, the people you want to see, but they're not killing themselves. So you can go out there and do some stuff, and the crowd gets to see the big moves, and then that's all you have to do. Can do, can kind of do some feud stuff along the way, too. Yeah. So our first match is... Um, the Ultimate Warrior, Brutus Beefcake, Sam Houston, and the Blue Bla- Oh, sorry, the Blue Blazer and Jim Brunzel versus the Honky Tonk Man, Ron Bass, Danny Davis, uh, Greg Valentine, and Bad News Brown. I laughed at like Danny Davis like immediately getting eliminated. <laughs> oh yeah. Like he lasted like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one eighteen. And Brutus beat him with a sleeper, I think. Yeah, he did. This was an energetic little romp, too, because then Bad News Brown also just got mad and left. <laughs> he did. Okay, 
it, it is to the point where there is a wrestling trope that I, I have tired of where heel is holding baby face by the arms. Heel's buddy, hit, you know, comes to hit baby face. Baby face moves so as to not get hit. Heel gets hit. Heel blames buddy. It's like, look, you, you were the one supposed to hold the dude. You got hit. Mm-hmm. Can we please, can we please just like, I know this was from 88, not a big deal, but I, I'm really, I don't want to see that one anymore. I'm tired of that well, trope. So, cause... so in context though, bad news Brown was no one's friend. Right. So him getting pissed off is more like, I knew this shit would happen if I worked with other people. I'm out of here. So it was a little different. It's not about this particular instance. I'm I'm speaking in broad generalities. Okay. And it's it, Bad News Brown, it, this is an era that I don't have a lot of familiarity with for the WWF. And so, but Bad, Bad News, like, they have a promo later, and he's just like, man... I don't trust any one of you. I don't like, and so him just getting pissed and walking out, it's like, okay, that that's better. But, and so I don't have a problem with it here. Obviously, you know, this show is 88. We're 20 some, you know, we're well past that. 30, 30, whatever, 35 years past this, but. Yeah, I'm just speaking in generalities. Like him, him, I appreciate the fact that he's just like screw this and walks out, and that's the only time tonight we see that. So I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. I did enjoy. There's some bits of like Jim Brunzel and Greg Valentine working together. I'm like, wow, I need like I need like a longer match of the two of them doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause that was some good stuff. Um, Sam Houston was very forgettable. Brad, from he what was. you've told me, Sam Houston, that that's just kind of Sam Houston in general, isn't it? Well, not for Baby Doll. <laughs> Damn it, I just about spin on my keyboard, Brad. Um, I think that's what got him in trouble in, um, in um, JCP, is he was betting above his, his um, place. Mm. And so... What? So Owen Hart did some cool stuff in this, but supposedly there was a mess up and Greg Valentine didn't duck for a leapfrog and like blasted Owen right in the balls. And I guess in Brett's book, he said the next day Owen's testicles had swollen quite horribly. Oh, God. I thought he got hurt, though, because he gets he gets gets the hell out. Yeah, because they like they because he. Cause he, like right after that, they slapped the figure four on, but he was very abruptly ended, and I felt like he was supposed to be in there a little longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was okay. Like I said, this is like a fun sprint. Uh, th- was the Ultimate Warrior the lone survivor? The sole survivor. Yeah, his um red and yellow outfit was really distracting. I I honest I didn't think anything about it. Um. It, it, it was, uh, it's just like ah, you know, why uh, you know, not for me it wasn't a big deal. It's like whatever. Yeah. So now for the next match, 
um, we get quite a bit of beef in this in this one, and it's a very famous match. So this is um, a tag team Survivor Series match, and it is a 10 on 10 match. Now, the caveat here to speed things up is if one member of a tag team gets eliminated, they both have to leave. So this is um, Demolition, the Brainbusters, the Bolsheviks, the Fabulous Rujos, and the Conquistadors versus the Powers of Pain, the Rockers, the British Bulldogs, the Heart Foundation, and the Young Stallions. So I actually love this match, but yeah, I liked it uh, quite a bit too. Actually, before we before we play it, uh, of course, it gives me the opportunity to to play this once again. The World Wrestling Federation. Wait for it. Like that's a blast from the past. Like that'll. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Talked about this before. Mm-hmm. This is such a badass theme song. Rick Derringer. Yeah. Rick One of my favorite Chikara moments was when they did King of Trios and um, the crowd was singing the song. As they came out, because the thing is, if they do indie stuff like act, uh, Bill Eadie owns all that stuff. He owns the he owns the theme song. Yep, they can use all that stuff. That that's why oh. um, that's why sometimes it's not on like the WWF stuff because they have to. Yeah, he owns. No, all they'd that. have to license it back from yeah. him. Yeah, they, he owns all that stuff. I actually think. Um, because they are road warrior, they are road warriors, imitators. But I don't. They think, are. I don't think they're as like, they're not as memorable. But I think they're better workers than um, the road warriors by a by a long shot. They're they're almost like forgotten in a sense because it's like they. Again, I got into it like I got into wrestling like after they had basically like disbanded. I mean, Crush and Smash. We're still with the WWF at the time under different gimmicks, but uh, Axe is like long gone. Uh, but this is like after their day, but I remember like watching the, these like the Coliseum home videos. Like in the late 80s, they were like a big thing. They were like definitely like one of the top tag teams, if not the top tag team. They're pushed. I loved in the, I think it was the 89 Rumble, maybe it might have been the 88, because they don't do this kind of storytelling anymore. So I think, like, Smash came out first, and Axe came out third. And they eliminated whoever was second, so they're just in the ring together. And they just look at each other, and they just start going to town on each other. Mm. Like, full out, just, like, brawling with each other. And they don't do stuff like that for the Rumble anymore. Well, yeah, it, it drove home the point of, like, every man for himself. Yep. And I love that they were just, like... I mean, they were supposed to be, like, Road Warriors ripoffs, effectively. Oh, and they're very gay now. Like, you're going to immediately yeah. think they're some, like, fetish, like... Oh, uh, like Leather Daddies? Yeah, yeah. It, it did not age super well. They're a couple of big old... They're a couple of big old bears. 
yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does look like that. It looks uh, very much like that. But uh, uh, yeah, you'll get ideas <laughs> watching them. They just like demolish. They just like brutalize people, and I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> also, I want to say, Barbarian was fucking great in this match. That was one I feel of like my he's... biggest. I'm sorry, Martin, go ahead. <laughs> no, um, I feel like he's been other other matches we've seen him in for the show. Like he's been sometimes like curiously good. Remember that boss man at the '91 Rumble? That match was like just an absolute <laughs> banger of a match. Mm-hmm. Yo, he's 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 underrated in everything I've seen, especially in the '80s. He's like an underrated worker. So. Um, in the, the course of watching this match, both Warlord and the Barbarian were doing better than I thought they would. Like, I, I, I don't know why. Like, we've seen Barbarian do do fine before, but, you know, he was doing really well. And for some reason, I had it in my head that the Warlord was just a big stiff. But no, he does, he does fine here. So both of them were doing better than I, I thought they would. Um, was, which was a nice surprise. Well, and Barbarian as a face was kind of a novelty here, but, like, he was playing, like, a fiery face really well. He was a monster, but he was vulnerable. Like, he was really... Mm-hmm. He was really great. I would say he was actually the MVP of this match. It, he uh, was good. I actually... I guess the only criticism I would have of this match was that it it ran long at 42 mm. minutes. My biggest complaint would be the Conquistadors <clears throat> were like the last heel team in. I almost feel like that was a rib of some sort. Because uh, the Rougeaus, I think, were like the first the first team, at least on the heel side, that was eliminated. Uh, I don't feel like they did a whole lot. And man, um, Dynamite Kid was just worthless as hell in this. So he... This- was Didn't Dynamite's last appearance in yeah, WWF. And I think they were keeping him away from the Rougeos because this was like after that infamous um, where Jacques, was it Jacques or Raymond that like busted his teeth out? Ooh. Yeah. Which one was that? I think it was might have been Raymond because I know... I know you didn't fuck with Raymond. Like, I know he's like doing real estate or something now, but like one of them was like a would tune you up with no um, qualms. I, I'm not sure. Might have been but, both of uh, them. But yeah, that happened like two months before this. Okay. But for me, like, I know Matt said he loved this match. I, I didn't love it because... It just like there's there was good stuff that happened, but there it just felt like it just went too long, and I don't know I kept fading in the course of this because like a forty five minute this this match going for forty two minutes I was just like and you know it's got a um beautiful Arn Anderson does a beautiful uh spine buster on Shawn Michaels in this uh like there's a bunch of stuff that 
there's a bunch of stuff that happens that's great, but and then the the uh, the ending on it, it's like okay, that's cool too. Did we? If it were me, I would have split this uh, into two matches. Like the, there was some. I think there were some structural issues because you had to be really careful what you were doing in the ring because there was guys on every inch of that apron. Yeah. Also, yeah, that also to... blocked the camera a lot. This is also um, the only time Brett and Shawn Michaels were technically teaming on a pay-per-view. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Because they were both on the face side. Uh, another structural thing about this match that bugged me uh, was that in the course of this match, um, it, something that happened a lot was that uh, someone would get, you know, someone would tag in and go to do their hot spot, and the first thing they like that happened like seventy percent of the time is they grab him and shoot him off the ropes. In this match. You didn't have room to do that, and yet it's happening anyway. It's like, oh, I'm going to shoot him off. It's like, there are people right there. Like, why are you guys not tagging him? That is your guy right there. But, you know, yeah. That's just me being that's just me being grumpy. So this also has the infamous powers of pain, demolition, double turn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was talking about at the end. So just um, Fuji kind of gets into it with his guys and um, they push him down and the the warlord and um, barbarian are nice to dust him off before winning the match. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is uh, this was obviously like the big uh, it was like a double turn, really. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> demolition turn face powers of pain turn heal. I think the demolition was getting cheered by this point, though. Yeah, because again, it's it's they were derivative of uh, of the Road Warriors, but it's time and time and again people have sh- it's been shown in in wrestling. Like if you push guys to dominate, if you just have them like just kick people's asses, like you yeah, get we're, over. we're not talking like, about like we're not talking about like a honky tonk man push. We're talking about like just a couple mm-hmm. of shit kickers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like they're gonna get cheered eventually. Yeah. Yeah, you you can't have you can't have a guy in wrestling who kicks ass a lot and not get cheered. Yeah. Because they got a big pop at Mania Four when they won the titles, so. Um, yeah, so they'd been over for a while. So we want to go on to the next match, which I think is a better match. Yeah. Okay, so this is Andre the Giant, Rick Rude, uh, Dino Bravo, Kurt Henning, Harley Race against Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake Roberts, Scott Casey, Ken Patera, and Tito Santana. So my big takeaway from this is I was going to say Ken Patera looks washed as hell in this, but then I said to myself, wow, that would be kind of mean to someone that's actually washed because he looked way worse than that. He did. Oh, my God. Patera... Worthless. Yeah, Patera was not good. Yeah, he was not good. Like, worthless. Like, I, I would he barely say that about a performance, but he was fucking worthless in this. He also, he did not look in shape, like, at all. No. Was this, uh, 
I think was SummerSlam '88 when he had his match with like Bad News. I think so. And it was like, I mean, there was some stuff that looking back, it's like, why was this even on like a pay per view? Let's see here. Uh, SummerSlam '88. Bad News Brown defeated Ken Patera by pinfall in six minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah, it wasn't much of anything. He gave him, uh, like, the ghetto blaster, and that was it. And I, I remember back in the day, like, I watching this on Coliseum Home Video, I didn't think anything special about Ken Patera. And I honestly was, like, surprised uh, after the fact that it's, like, Oh, he was actually like kind of like a big deal at some point. Well, let's just say, let's just say that man <laughs> loved his McDonald's. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think he was at some point like. He was good at uh, some point. Yeah, he was, but he was also like a star <laughs> at some point. Like he was. Yeah, in the kind late seventies, like early eighties. Bigger was. deal. He just, yeah. Once he got out of prison, he just wasn't the same. I watched this match, and the takeaway for me was the the first two eliminations were off the babyface side, I, and I watched know, that and I thought nothing of value was lost. You know, you know what's sad is um, when Kim Patera got pinned. I thought he was on the heel side. That's how forgettable he was. <laughs> and I was I was paying attention. I'm like, oh, like why did they see her down? Like, oh, Kim Patera was a face. Like, oops. <laughs> Yeah, so um, mm-hmm. I, I made a goof there. Yeah. Yeah. And then Scott Casey. What were you saying beforehand, Brad, about Scott Casey being on the show? Oh, so Junkyard Dog was supposed to be in this match, and he got taken off. And then Brian Blair was supposed to be in the match, and then he left. And then they put Junkyard Dog back, I think, and then he left. So then they, they subbed in Scott Casey. Because my reaction was like, I didn't know Scott Casey was in the WWF. <laughs> I had no idea who I was looking at, to be honest with you. He, he's a guy that was like like a mid-carter in like UWF, like world class. Like he wasn't like anyone special or anything. But he's like a territory guy that if you watch enough stuff, you've seen. Okay, and I, I he came into I had a blank slate whenever he did, I heard. I thought he looked okay in this match. Like he looked like a territory vet, and like getting a little spot. Scott Casey. Yeah. Yeah, he actually he was pretty decent. He like showed some some fire. Uh, looking at you, do you know how old he was? I'm just looking at his Wikipedia because I don't. I'm gonna guess. He's like 41. He looks it, but I mean, he he's still pretty spry in the ring. I think mean, he moved like much. He moved like ten years younger. I like how he's, old Ken Patera was for this. He was forty six. Okay, so he was pretty washed. Wow, Patera's still alive. Yeah, Patera's still alive. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I actually thought Casey was perfectly fine in this, but he was one of those. It's like. He didn't have a gimmick and everything. He he's almost just like an elevated jobber. Yeah, he's kind of just the basic cowboy job gimmick. Yeah, it's almost like if uh, I'm trying to think it's comparable. It's like if, if AEW <laughs> did a pay per view 
and I don't know, like Serpentico is on like one of the teams or something. It's like <laughs> he's like a name guy. He can do some stuff. Yeah. But you know, he's not not gonna win. It's it would be John Cruz. <laughs> Who's not at all. No, I, I asked Serpentico about that, and he says he doesn't know this man or what he does. So. <laughs> And I, I don't I don't have any reason to believe a giant serpent would lie to me, so we'll just yeah. leave it at that. John Cruz, okay, he doesn't get bullied by Nyla Rose uh, <laughs> constantly. Serpentico, though. Yes. Constant bullying. Tony Atlas will look at both of their feet, though, and might oh, jack God. off. <laughs> might? I mean, I don't know how into dude's feet he is, so... One of the uh, best, one of the best recent uh, Twitter <laughs> interactions. Like, said, like... Yes, yes, Diamante like posted a tweet where she's like, like uh, getting a ride from Tony Atlas. What a treat! And then Nyla Rose responded, and she was like, "Don't wear any open-toed sandals around him." And then Diamante oh like God. responded, responded later. It's like, oh my God, he showed me pictures on his phone, and, and I'm it like, was like the crying emoji. Yes. It was like, oh my god, what sort of what sort of nonsense <laughs> transpired? God, I love Tony. I love I love Tony Atlas so much. He's a kook. <laughs> he is a kook. <laughs> I I think sometimes he plays that up a bit. Like I think he is a kook, but I think he also gives the. I think he knows uh, what I, the other wrestlers want. Too. Yeah, I think I think he's uh, somewhat self-aware. I think he's I think he's a kook, uh, but extent. I think he's like. I think he's a showman and knows like people would be disappointed by certain him not doing certain things. Yeah. So this was I I actually liked this match quite a bit. I liked um they did a lot of storytelling in this. Uh, Shad was surprised because Kurt Henning just had basic trunks on, which yeah. I I I could not remember seeing Kurt Henning not wrestling in a singlet. Every memory I had of Kurt Henning wrestling had him in the, his signature singlet. And I was like, except for that NWO run where he just started wearing you know, basketball shorts instead. I think, um, um, well, did, did he wrestle in jeans in the West Texas Rednecks? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think he did. Ah. <sighs> Hang on, let me get the Google box. You know, that was a real miss on WCW's part. Do you mean the fact that that was catering to a big demographic for them and it could have been a... Uh, you mean their audience? Yeah, could have been a big uh, big babyface faction for them. Well, and it just shows how dumb they are. Because that, that wasn't like that song getting played on like country stations and stuff. That's the rumor I have heard. Oh, that was such so, a miss. They yeah, were like totally playing to an audience they didn't have with that. So, uh, and but and they were treating they they were going to be the heels against the No Limit Soldiers. It's like I I do not I do not understand the thought process here because well, it was dumb. It was dumb from a like let's say the audience demographics were different. It was still dumb because the No Limit soldiers acted like heels. They always had like numbers advantages. Um, you know, like 
the red the, the the rednecks were always like going against like bigger odds um they never did anything super dastardly mm-hmm. i don't know yeah it just it just the, the dynamics of that were all bad so just from a quick scroll i have not every image i've been able to find of wrestling had hennig in his singlet well before 89 he tended to do trunks i think he okay. did the trunks and awa and like in his younger days okay well in any event um i looked that, at his stuff in memphis and he had trunks and all of it so you know we in this match we get the the wonderful uh spectacle that is kurt hennig pinballing around in the ring yeah um which is always great we had you're right this this match had some good storytelling in it the whole story with Andre and and Jake and um, and Duggan being very much in character. I thought Andre uh, was great in this match. For as limited as Andre was at this point in his career, I thought he did a very good job. Because he was very good at like if someone wa- got near him when he was on the apron, he would just like throttle the crap out of him. Um, or just when, reach over and wallop him. Yeah, when he came in, like I mean, his offense was limited, but it looked good. Like he really. He he kept it limited, but he really understood how to use his aura to like compensate. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I agree. I thought I thought it was a great use of Andre. Um, I thought it was a great use of Andre. I thought that he every time he came into the ring, which was obviously it was like limited, but it, it was a game changer. Like he would come in and just demolish people. Like it was he would just brutalize folks. So I've. Um, I have a question though, with mm. regards to this. So why is it why is it that um why is it in the main event they edited out Ted DiBiase's butt, but in this match Rick Rude's ass is just fair game to be seen. <laughs> and let me tell you, those Richfield sweat hogs did not keep it down for that. No, they they didn't. Oh, and if you're watching this, just so you know, because it's really weird. So they're they're saying they're from Richfield, Ohio, and the Richfield Coliseum. Like they're just in fucking Cleveland. Like this is the Cleveland Cavaliers um, arena until like '94 when they built the gun. If you're trying to figure out where in Ohio they are, they're just in Cleveland. Okay. Well, I mean the crowd was hot the whole time. Because I, I thought I thought people would be a little weirded out because they're in like some nowhere named place in Ohio in this giant ass arena, so that's why I wanted to give context. Okay. All right. Um, the ending on this match had a pretty good. I mean, here's the thing: it, it made a lot of sense because Duggan. Duggan was mad that the heels cheated, so he went crazy with two by four. And then well, he didn't go crazy enough. He should have thwacked some of the guys on the apron too. Well, but he's hitting people with a two by four, so he gets disqualified. Okay, fair enough. Then we get the the story where Jake Roberts is squaring up with everybody, and he's he manages to DDT Rick Rude and take well, him out. Well, they, they, this is where the storytelling comes in though, because. He's feuding with Rick Rude, so Rick Rude's beating up on him and showboating, 
and Jake gets him with the DDT. So Jake actually gets the one up the guy he's feuding with in this process. Mm-hmm. And then you had, um, <clears throat> and then you had uh, Andre pretty much comes in yeah. and chokes him out, gets the cue, <clears throat> and then like Henning just like jumps on top of him to win. Immediately, yeah, it, it immediately pins him. I thought that was actually Andre booking. Yeah, Andre comes in and does the self sacrifice of I'll get disqualified for damn near killing him, and then Henning can just be like ah, I got the win. Thanks, yeah. Andre. And can we you talk know. about what a what a worthless manager Frenchie Martin is? He uh, he tripped a guy at some point. That was about his uh, his. No, he waved, he, he waved that stupid flag for, like, mm-hmm. 20 minutes of this match. I'm sure... I feel like... I'm sure I who was ever behind wait. him in that section absolutely just wanted to knife him. <laughs> I feel like way, 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 way back in the day, uh, maybe on, like, one of, like, the Toronto Maple Leaf Garden uh, shows that they did on, like, the w- like the, prede- the predecessor for the WWE Network... I feel like I saw a Frenchie Martin match. Oh yeah, he wrestled. Was, he, he yeah, he wasn't good. He's I mean, not his, good. his gimmick is he wears glasses and a beret. So I mean, yeah. Oh, and he's Frenchie then. No, I, I've that, seen that him. sounds like Vince right I've there. I've seen him in a couple of matches and he's not good. Like even by like not good standards, he's not good. So. Why? Why was he employed? I have no fucking <laughs> idea. He's probably someone's friend. Or it's Yeah, it's like there are guys that like Vince like hired for had for around forever, mm-hmm. like uh, Rene Goulet, and it's like he was never actually good. But it's like, like these may have been like you know right hand men for his dad. And he just like Some kept of them on. Some might have been like agreements when they bought out territories and stuff. Like, hey, we'll keep this guy with a job for so many years. Maybe because it's like I don't. I, I agree with you. Like, I don't see the value to Frenchie Martin, like at all. Oh, and what what what's the what, what was the, what was the point of having two referees when both of them didn't do jack or shit like in any of these matches? Right. Why are you having were... the ref on the outside? They they didn't do anything. Yeah. That bugged me. That really did. Because it's like, there is no way that a manager should be able to interfere if you have a ref right there. Well, like, in the main event, like, they, they're like, oh, well, they let Slick stay out there because he has the, he's the only one with the keys to the handcuffs. Like, well, why don't you make him give you the keys then or threaten to disqualify everyone? Yeah. It's funny because... It, this it feels like this trope persists in this company, even from back then. Is that the referees simultaneously have all kinds of power, but no power whatsoever? They're, they only have power when they're evil. Or they? How could I? How could I phrase? Maybe I should say this differently. They have all the power in a match and are too dumb to use it. Every time. Yeah, it, it, the, the two ref thing was bothering me because it's like, well, they're not like actually enforcing any rules. Yeah, it, it, it's. I will say, I actually one thing I think that does bear to be said is I thought um, 
Gorilla and Jesse were really on point tonight. I really appreciated they their commentary was not very partisan. They were very down the middle, and I appreciated that. I mean, there was a little bit, but then it, there was there was good back and forth. But they gave like so. the faces and the heels credit. It's not like some of those shows where it's just like the color guy will never say. It's not like Corey Graves that'll never say anything good like about a good guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Jesse can be a little overbearing at times, and he was not on this show. Yeah, they they had good, you know, they had a good uh, good back and forth on this show. It wasn't uh, you, you're you're one hundred percent correct. Yeah. Okay, so I think for uh, me this Tara, is they, oh go ahead. Right. One final thing about this match, uh, I actually like this match quite a bit just because like there was a desperation I felt at the end. Uh, from the faces because they were they were down so far it was almost like a sense of desperation and inevitability that the heels were going to win but yeah uh basically roberts and and duggan really like fought and i actually one of the things i i saw this uh i take away from this match is like duggan is really kind of underappreciated in some respects uh i had not seen a lot of stuff that from when he was like the uwf but i had heard that he was just like like a really good brawler and I feel like he got some glimpse of that here. Like he's obviously, he's kind of playing like a gimmick. Obviously, he's like he's the big totally dumb. He's not totally flanderized yet. Yeah, he's like, but he's like the big dumb, like bruiser here. Uh, but you could see, like, he's he he could I could tell, like, this guy, this guy would be like a really good brawler, like today. Like he'd just be like perfect in that role. Like yeah. he he was savvy about that, and he was like a roughneck. Big dude, like deceptively like big. Uh, most guys nowadays are like smaller, so you know he'd probably like be far and ahead above a lot of people. But uh, I really I thought he, was, he did a good job. Jake is always great. Uh, he did a lot. I think in this match, this is I really just enjoyed this. Uh, I enjoyed the first match a lot because it was a, a really cool sprint. I love the tag match because I thought it was really cool. And I really just if you love like like late 80s WWF tag matches or tag teams, because that really was like their renaissance with tag teams. I, uh, this was like a, a, a great like love sto- love letter to that. And But this one I thought was really fun. I, I liked them. I don't know how they let Rick Rude out there with those trunks. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you need a picture of this, so he had trunks and he did like airbrushed ones. But so... It kind of has the same concept on both, but if you look at it from behind, it's two hands reaching up to grab his ass, but if mm. you're going from the front, it's two hands reaching up to grab his junk. Yeah. And, um, I, I mean, I thought they were hilarious, but I'm like, wow, I can't believe someone didn't, like, tackle him for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I laughed when I saw it, but, I mean, it was a little like, oh, that's a little um PG-13 for this era. I mean, that's kind of, that was kind of Rude's M.O., wasn't it? Yeah, but he's, I, you know, I love Rude, but he's such a pale imitation in WWF. And just having watched, like, the Dangerous Alliance stuff, like, he's just such a shadow. And I think I think him and Heyman go work better together than Rude and um, Bobby do. Mm-hmm. Actually, Rude and, um, and Paul Barry together are really good, too. Uh, that was world class, though. Mm-hmm. 
Because fun fact I had forgotten about too uh, with um, Paul Bear is his last um, appearance, like on a televised wrestling thing, he was managing um, Eli Drake. <laughs> really? Yeah, and um, he was Sean Ricker in NWA Hollywood, and uh, Paul Bear was doing some stuff with them like the last year of his life or so. I found a video at some point. Um, I'll see if I can send you. But So now it is time to do the main event, which we actually did this um, during the Mega Powers um, That's series. true, we did, didn't we? Yeah, uh, so this is um, the Mega Powers of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, Hercules, Coco Beware, and Hillbilly Jim against the Twin Towers of Akeem and Big Boss Man, Ted DiBiase, King Haku, and the Red Rooster. And we get the nice entrance of... Um, of Akeem's uh, Jive Soul Bro, which is also an excellent uh, song. Oh, absolutely amazing. <laughs> so this is also, this is, is this the is this the main one where Hogan gets a little too handsy with Miss Elizabeth? Is that? No. Yes. At the it so is? at the end at the end of this, uh, he of which we I don't think we covered we we didn't cover this specifically I don't think. When we did our uh, three part, I think it was three part, three I think part. I watched this. I remember watching this. Did we? I think maybe, so. maybe just like this part of it or just this match. I don't oh, think we, we didn't the... cover like the entire. No, we just pay-per-view. watched the match. We did not do the entire pay per view. We just did yeah, the match. but uh, we did address this in our our retrospective of the Mega Powers explode. The Mega Powers is, explode. Uh, maybe like the favorite, one of our favorite, uh, one of my favorite personal favorite shows. We did. We did like a three-part show yeah, for it, the Mech Powers it, Exploding. And, um, it and uh, the Final Conflict are my two favorite like contextual watches we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, like this was part of that. At the end of the match, we talked about the match itself, but at the end of the match, uh, Miss Elizabeth gives Hogan a hug. And Savage just immediately like gets freaked out. And, and the, the announcers like no-sell it. They're just talking about how, like, uh, you know, a great victory for Hogan and uh, and Savage were like that. And Miss Elizabeth's, like, in the middle. Like, she's holding both her hands up, whatever, like that. And Savage is just focused on them and just, like, looking. And he has this, like, he's just pointing at Hogan, like, what the fuck? Like, what what the fuck, Hogan? Because <laughs> he's a jealous size. Jealous size, yeah. And he's just, like, freaking out. And it's such, like... I think the fact that they no-sell it is what makes it, but it's, like, it's such great foreshadowing to what is to come. Yeah. Yeah, it's the kind of subtlety that you don't necessarily get anymore. I I did not run, like, once the match was over, I was like, okay, all right. So I kind of cut off there. I forgot that this is the one we were on, but... um, Yeah, and Coco wears tights or edited out too because it has WWF <laughs> on them. Look, I really liked this match. Like out of the whole show, this was my favorite. And it, the the faces had their working boots on because this match stayed at a pretty high level of energy with the exception of the times and it, there weren't a lot whenever the heels took over. And but through most of the match, the faces are Moving a lot, they're doing a lot of stuff. They're keeping things going. Hogan they're and Haku are just yep. stiffing each other. 
like yeah and tomorrow man i i hogan is taking the heat for a big part like out of all of the faces taking heat in this match i think hogan took the most um until you know you get to the end and uh haku is just beating up on savage um Fun it's, fact, like Hogan's um, Hogan's biggest drawing opponent ever is Big Boss Man. Yep. And so you have this really fun match. The only weird note I had on it was in watching this, <clears throat> One Man Gang, a.k.a. Akeem, when he's selling, because there's this whole great sequence where faces are just battering him. Oh, that, to was, that was awesome, where they were just beating the shit out of him trying to get him down and they're like quick tagging and they're just yeah they're just everybody's walloping the, him they're just throwing the kitchen sink at him but he would stand there and he would look like dazed and tired and stuff he looked like dom DeLuise. i have <laughs> wonder if vince i have wonder if vince told him to do that because you know vince I just, is weird i couldn't yeah. i could not help myself i'm in the middle of it no that that segment was awesome like i I don't know if I didn't know what I said about the first time, but like them just trying to get him off his feet and they're like tagging out and they're just throwing every, mm-hmm. everything they've got at him and he won't go down. Like I was, I was loving every bit of that. It was, it was good. It was really good actually. Cause they like, there's just like, there was an urgency to it, but I want, yeah. I want to say though, after watching mm-hmm. this match and some of the other ones, I never want to hear a fucking veteran ever again complain about thigh slapping. I saw so many fucking <laughs> foot stomps during this show. Like, don't talk to me about fucking thigh slapping. You yeah, Matt stomping motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> I, mm. When I was working, what I would try and do when I throw stuff is I didn't want to make it obvious that I was doing that. So when I would throw a punch, I would pop up onto the balls of my feet so my heels would... I was trying to time my heels hitting the, the mat with whenever the shot would land. So you'd still kind of get that ring rumble when I do it. I wouldn't lift, lift my foot and then throw it and be like, oh, boom. You know, I wasn't doing that. It, it was pretty apparent here. It, it, I think Hercules was the worst defender that really, like, tuned me into it, like, for this match. And then I just couldn't unsee it for the rest of the match. But, like, I don't want to hear about thigh slapping anymore. Like I would take thigh slapping every day of the week over, over the mat yeah. stomping. Yeah. Now towards the end of the match, um, having some of the eliminations, if you just look at them on Wikipedia, you're like, no, what the hell is this? But I like them because boss man, there's this whole segment at the end where they're dicking around on the outside and Bossman lost track of the count and got counted out because he wasn't yeah. paying attention. And, you know, it's the heels uh, hubris coming back on them. And I, and then I, uh, I can't remember what Akeem did that got him in trouble. Uh, but, what did he do? He used the nightstick on Savage, didn't he? Oh, okay. I couldn't remember exactly. Can we, can we talk about the real injustice of this match, though? And it needs to be said over and over again, and enough attention wasn't drawn to it. But it is it is a crime that no one did anything about Miss Elizabeth stealing Slick's wallet. <laughs> Will you stop? I, I laugh. It's like, she's, she's going for his wallet. Like... <clears throat> he mentioned it again, too, because there was something like, I think she stole his wallet like towards the end of the show. Yeah. 
Ventura was leaning in on that, but I, uh, I thought that was that was pretty funny. But I um, Bobby was actually really stupid though because he didn't realize like, oh hey, Hogan still has like free reign of that side of the thing when he got murdered. Again, I like that because it's it's the hubris of the heels thinking they've got it in the bag. Because well, actually, they knocked out... Um, actually, Heenan was kind of just dumb. He was just like, what's going cool? Oh, God, I'm dead. Mm. He tunnel-visioned. Yeah. Uh, but you had uh, Coco get eliminated and Hurt gets eliminated. And it's like, they're like, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm doing that wrong. Hillbilly Jim, Coco, and Hurt get eliminated uh, sequentially. And so it's like, oh, yeah, we got this. And I can understand how they would get sloppy at that point. Like, it it makes sense. There's, there's, there's a progression there that I appreciate. What did Hillbilly Jim get eliminated on? Because he was doing some cool stuff, and then he was gone. And I was kind of like, what? I want, I want more Hillbilly uh, Jim. Who did he get? He got eliminated by Akeem. I think he just got splashed. Yeah, he got splashed. He, he took a big, full... Cause he had this cool like um, neck vice in the corner thing where he used his like height to get like Akeem around the neck. I thought that was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, he's just like a lanky ass dude, and he was kind of cool seeing him take on the big guys. So I was a little bummed when he went out. And we have to mention that the Red Rooster, you know, got eliminated, and Bobby was very mad at him. Okay, looking at the the lineup for this match, it's like, hey, Terry Taylor's going out first. That that's pretty straightforward, right, guys? Like, yeah. there's no question about that. Now it's kind of like, uh, like comparing this to other things I've seen Terry Taylor do. It's like, did did Red Rooster bang Linda or something? Like, is is that why? I don't know. This gimmick. I don't know. I don't, Bruce Pritchard tries to justify it and said, like, no, they just thought, like, the rooster fucks all the chickens. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, no one believes you. That I, That's the cover story, or that's what Vince thought was funny, but that's not, no. I, I don't know. I think they thought they were going to do some, like, young boy thing with him where he gets this embarrassing gimmick, but I think they... They never paid it off. Well, they did pay it off, but I think, like, the gimmick buried him so far, like, it just didn't get over because it's a stupid gimmick. Yeah, it's a really stupid gimmick. Like, what what do you expect to be the, the end game on this? At least it didn't have, like, the rooster mohawk yet, so. Ugh. What really pisses me off, though, is this, I mean, a couple years have passed, but this is, like, Three years almost exactly after he had that swank ass match with like Tully Blanchard on TV that we watched. Yeah, yeah, he had a really good match with Blanchard. Yeah, so that kind of that kind of bothers me, but I mean, yeah, he was kind of the obvious fall guy. Um, Bossman was very—I forget how fat Bossman was at one point in his life after he like before he slimmed down. But it didn't make a lick of difference. No, and he's like, I mean, he's fucking, his belly's fucking coming out of his shirt. Like, when they do side views, he's just got this beer gut. Doesn't matter. Dude's, like, lighter on his feet than anyone else in the ring and, like, running around like a maniac. It doesn't matter. He was very agile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very agile. Well, 
that goes back to that story about how he got a, a, a full time job. I posted the gift yeah. in the Discord. Took the and, took the slingshot suplex for Tully as a jobber. And he went up for it too. It looked like it looked like it was nothing. Just the way he went up. And then he went over on the suplex. It was Could you imagine could you imagine if like he was coming up today like how just turgid like certain fed fans would be if he was on the wwf dude if he was coming up today well he wouldn't be getting over in the wwf at least not until recently because he didn't have the look but he would be an indie darling kind of guy could you imagine big dude who can move and that it's kind of like a proto samoa joe a little bit and he'd be it's not the same and the thing is though he'd be doing crazy shit now like he'd be, probably be doing like senton bombs. He'd be like probably doing like 450 splashes and stuff. Like I just that guy, he's insane. I don't like he's a freak of nature. Ray Trailer from this era transported to more modern days, dropping a moonsault on somebody for a finish. I could see that. And what's um. So there's some good matches of his that I like. Well, obviously the Barbarian one. There's the Bam Bam Bigelow match from the Rumble I liked a lot. Um, the Vader matches are really good. There's like this random um, Kenta Kabashi match in All Japan in 93, I think, that's really good. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a couple others. like Some of his stuff like in the NWO era I liked. Uh some of his stuff with Kurt. Oh yeah, that was um that was NWA. That he had a pretty good match with Kurt Henning for the U.S. title on Nitro one week. Out of nowhere. Yes, yes, he did. And um, actually, uh, he and Henning usually had pretty good matches together. Yeah, they worked together well. I mean, he was in a stage in his career where he was an afterthought, but um. He could still work, so... Yeah. It's unfortunate. Let's see. So then, um... Pretty much comes down to Haku. Uh, Hogan's, you know, handcuffed. Gets the handcuffs off. Gets the not tag, because Randy Savage just kind of falls into him. He murders Haku. And then, um... The molestering begins to end the show. So overall, what did we think of this? I actually really enjoyed this. Um, I told them I really liked the fact that this is kind of like a low stakes one off. And I liked that it wasn't trying to be some like epic four hour pay-per-view that like shaped the future of the company. I I, I enjoyed the like kind of I'm trying to because the way I want to say is this was a fun throwaway show. And I appreciated that like it was a fun throwaway show. But that feels like um it feels like a backhanded compliment, and I don't mean it that way. No, it, we, we talked about it a little bit, and it's the idea, I, I referred to it as a cotton candy show. It's fun, it's nice, but there's not much substance to it, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. They, they go out, These guys are going out there, and they're working, and they're doing a good job, but they're not killing themselves. And so what's wrong with having a fun show every now and then 
like everything does not have to you it, that is something I'm critical about AEW about is like I don't need to see every match on the card trying to be, you know, banger of the night. It's like y'all slow down a little bit and and just kind of enjoy what you're doing and don't try and kill each other. Yeah. Can can we not have that all the time? But then you watch this and they're like nobody's doing anything that's like crazy over the top. They're doing a lot of character work and they're moving pretty quickly. But, you know, nobody's trying to, with with the exception of some accidents, nobody's trying to kill anybody. And it, it's, honestly, it's kind of nice. You know, everybody gets to do their signature spots. You do a little bit of storyline stuff. And, you know, you have a fun show. Yeah, I agree. What'd you think, Matt? Uh, like I said, this is maybe one of the, Maybe the first Survivor Series I ever saw. Um, but I actually, I love. Uh, I it's a definite like thumbs up for me. It's not. Um, I like memorable in the sense that any one of these four is like, oh, you must see this. It's historically significant. Other than it does at the very end of the main event, it does kind of like it's more in the the inevitable breakup of the Mega Powers. So that's like kind of relevant, but if you miss it, it's like it's not that big of a deal that you missed it. So it's not like historic, like a must-watch pay-per-view, but it's just a lot of fun. It's like it's a, it's kind of like a throwback to late '80s. Uh, it's got all like the major players there. It's some of the feuds of the time. It's fun. It's a it's a fun show. It's easy watching. Two and a half hours now is like. It's like an indie show you go to. It's like it's not even God, like paper movies nowadays. Some indie shows were two and a half hours. Oh really? You seen stuff that's longer than that? Oh god, yeah. Like when I would go to Ring oh. of Honor shows, like four hours. Like the best shows I've ever been to were NXT and Chikara because Chikara had you in and out in like two hours and fifteen minutes. And I think NXT was about. Two uh, my hours. wife and I just went to. My wife and I just went to an indie show, uh, Virginia Championship Wrestling, I think it is, which I guess runs out of uh, Norfolk, Virginia, which is three to four hours away from where I live. So I don't, I've never gone to one of their shows, but they ran it in uh, in Alexandria, Virginia, which is like just outside of D.C. Uh, so it's close to where we live. Uh, so we did actually go to it, and I want to say it was probably like. I was with an intermission, so how long you like cut they, out? They did keep it fairly. You cut brisk. out. How long was it? Uh, how long? Yeah, you, you cut uh, out. It was maybe that. like two and a half hours. Yeah, like yeah, it was maybe like two and a half hours, and that's 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 with an intermission thrown in. I don't remember if Chikara had an intermission, but like, so I went to that. They did the main show was like two hours, and then they did like a pretty much an encore like battle royal that was like an extra fifteen or twenty, but like then the matches like. Two matches went over ten minutes. The rest were like five to eight minutes, and I loved it. Like that's the best show I've ever been to. Like every show should follow that formula. It, it would be nice, but because um, if know, it's not, if it's not like a main event or the opener. Like it doesn't need to be twenty minutes. Like it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. If there's not a title, if it's not like a big gimmick match that's drawn everyone in. 
Like, eight minutes is just as good as 20 minutes for a couple of mid-carders fighting over nothing. Yeah, if you're going to have a match be a big epic thing, there damn well needs to be something on the line. Like, it needs to, you need to have made it clear it's important somehow. Because otherwise, I'm just kind of like, ugh. If it's like, if it's like 1998 WCW and like, it's the third match on the card, and it's Alex Wright versus Chavo Guerrero Jr. Eight and a half minutes is more than enough. Yeah. That was something that, that Nitro, looking back, was pretty good about uh, up until like the Russo era. is You would have some matches earlier on in the show that were maybe ten minutes or less, and... That was fine. You know, you had some guys who got to do their stuff. You kind of got, you know, some soft pushes going for people. Great. And, you know, that that everybody wants to do the epic banger now. And it's like, please, please don't. Yeah. Please don't. Like, if there's no stakes, like, you don't need to go 20 minutes. Like, Ring of Honor was always bad about that. And even, like, the Roman stuff, like, not every Roman match needs to be 35 minutes. Like, people catch on to that real quick, and then they don't pay attention for 20 minutes because they know it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there, there are some matches where I can look at the clock and look at who's in the match and go, you know, I could go and, not to be crude, but I could go take a dump, and I can get back in time for this match to really pick up. I mean, when it's a Roman match, it's like, hey, I can I can drive to Wendy's and hit the drive-thru and probably be back for the last ten minutes. Yeah. And I don't... How can I best put this? It's not that I want to <clears throat> discount the guys who are trying to do good work, and, and that seems to be a lot of the, the atmosphere right now. But it feels like it's a lot of high impact filler. Yeah. If that makes I sense. I agree. Cause it's like, you're trying really hard and you're doing cool stuff, but it was it, I can't remember who it was. Was it commander that was doing the rope walk thing? And then he did like 16 little middle rope, top rope hops. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you have taken me out of it entirely. Um, uh, I'm just, no, I'm not screw it. And, you get stuff like it's like okay you could do something cool but you're not investing me and yeah, i have that problem with commander i know he's popular with like segments of the fan base but like i really he does not land with me he would be when it comes to wrestling my wife likes people who do physically impressive stuff um and so she likes seeing the acrobatic stuff she loves ray mysterio Things like that. Cool. Great. You know, uh, we found the style that she really likes. But I, that's fine to a point, but I I would much rather it be, if we're going general, if we're going widespread, I would much rather it be a more storytelling, like, working style and crank out the big stuff as you get more towards the end. I don't yeah. need I don't need an attempted code red 
in the first five minutes of the match. I sure as shit don't need Canadian destroyers as high spots. Yeah, my, um, my wife says, uh, and I still have not found one that she likes as much. She says that her best match ever that she's seen with me is um, Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage at WrestleMania three. I think the closest I've come to her seeing one, she's liked almost as much as Ray versus Eddie at Halloween Havoc 97. Mm-hmm. But she still likes um, Steamboat Savage more. You know, at some point I should do that with my wife, but I'd have to get her to watch more stuff with me to put a handle on it. But I mean, there, my, wife, my wife was a fan for a long time. Bret Hart's her favorite wrestler, so I mean. Okay. So it, I, I feel like I also need to qualify stuff. There are some matches where going longer is not a bad thing. For example, if I just reach over and grab Omega versus Danielson, the whole story of that match is they start by feeling each other out. And it's this feeling out like, hey, all right, I'm if I do this without giving too much of an opening, can I get an advantage? So it it starts it starts kind of like a, a classic boxing match where you're feeling each other out. And then as it goes on, you're getting more aggravated. You start throwing bigger stuff. It's like, okay, cool. I get that. But they also, but I mean, they're also both awesome. And they turned like a long 30 minute match into a massive cock tease because they kept like three fourths of their arsenal out of the match and kept it like super simple. And then did it in such a way that you actually, if they would have been like, Hey, you want to go for another 30 minutes? Like get the fuck started then. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like, like I think I think they don't count because they're like they're like the best in the world right now. And like I said, they they made you they made thirty minutes seem like nothing and made you want more, which I think most people couldn't do. Yeah, and, and that's fair. I'm just I know I'm going to an extreme for the example, but that's that's kind of me trying to make the point of I'm not saying it's everything. But there's a lot of people who are doing that, and it bothers me. Like, like um, with like a Roman match, though, it's just so overwrought and melodramatic. Like, I would, it just, it doesn't, it, it doesn't land with me. And I don't like his matches. Really, don't get over. I don't think it really lands with a lot of people when they actually get to the matches. I think that's part of why the business is slowing down. They've, I think, people in general. Because I, I have to remind myself, get outside of the internet wrestling bubble. I think it has become more wide scale. It's like you said, more wide scale uh, recognized that it's always the same match. It's always the same outcome. It's always the same method. Yeah. And so there's no point in getting invested because it, it won't happen. Yeah, and I, so. I like generally like I'm I'm much more in the I mean I was different when I was younger, but I really just appreciate the art of the I mean especially in this era like the art of the eight to twelve minute match, which really needs to make a comeback. Yeah, I I think I would rather see the developmental process be someone gets good at having eight to twelve minute matches before they start pushing into doing bigger things. It's like just just do that. Get good at doing that, well, you and know then what, you can start learning to space it out more. What I love with what um, New Japan does with their like dojo graduates when they're young boys is um, they have them work together, but then 
they keep like older guys around. They keep like a Satoshi Kojima around or like a Yuji Nagata. And those guys don't really get pushed. But then what they'll do is like you'll just be watching some like B show and like you'll see some guy that's had like six matches and he'll go out there and like Yuji Nagata will just like pace him through like a 10 minute match. Yeah. And I, I and I was watching that. And I'm like, you know what? Like compared to the performance center, I'm like, I bet a guy with six matches gets more out of that 10 minutes with Yuji Nagata than they will get out of like six months of training or just like doing bullshit matches with nobodies. Yeah. You've got to work with, that's what I was saying about um, Jade earlier is you've got to get out there and get reps and get better. Like one of the big jump point, I, I know we've talked about it before, but one of the, one of the better learning experiences in my career was there was a stretch where I worked some matches with, I don't want to call him the local pro, but you know, the guy who I think had it to make it on TV a guy named John Noble showing me that, Hey, we don't need to kill ourselves to do this stuff. Keep it basic, but get the people involved, have some fun every now and then people like seeing that and things go a lot easier. And so instead of me just looking like a, because it, it was in that point in the career when I was doing a, like a real striker based offense and I'm just hammering on people and kicking at them. And he's like, you're a big dude. If you're going to be doing this, don't throw as many because it makes it look weaker. If you throw six kicks for the guy to go down, it doesn't matter how good they look. They're going to think it takes all of that. Take everybody down. He's like, just slow it down and, and do less. It makes you look better. I was like, well, hell, you know, and, and and he's one of the only people that, you know, worked with me on that sort of stuff. I think more, yeah, it, I think more, um, and WWE should do that. Like, you need, I think more places should keep vets around. Just be like, okay, like, well, you're, you're coming out of school. Um, we're going to have you do some matches with other students, but eh, every third show, you're going to work this vet for like 10 minutes. And they're going to put you through your paces and kind of like work with you and then kind of maybe talk with you after the match and and kind of break things down with you. I would say that if you're going to do that, you need to be picky about who it is that's doing it because you need someone who's going to give you good advice because I know we beat this to death. There are some vets that will just, you know, they'll just try and cut your legs out from under you. But it would be like it'd be like a Ricky Morton or like a Rip Rogers that's going to actually be like you know, maybe not super polite about it, but are going to like actually try to make you better. Yeah. Someone who, someone who honestly wants to make you better. That's Uh, different. Honestly, if I was a trainer and I was still young enough, it would just be like, okay, you're going to work the other students there, but like every third show you're going to work with me and then I'm going to help you. Like, then we'll kind of go over things afterwards. Like I think. Yeah. Because I think I think um, Brian Alvarez talked about that is um, he's working Buddy Wayne who trained him. Mm-hmm. He freaked the fuck out because they were gonna go out there and Buddy Wayne was like, "Ah, we're just gonna call it all in the ring. Like, let's not come up with anything." And then he said he came back and he says he learned so much from that like one match. Yeah, because he learned first of all it's possible and it can be good. Yeah, it, it, I, I saw that interview, too, and it was – he's right. 
you know, he's 100% right about that. And I, I, I hate it. The guy that got me in, B.J. Fuller, he liked to lay stuff out a lot. It's a very Randy Savage, DDP kind of mindset. He liked to lay stuff out. And I didn't. I, I did not like doing that. I was like, okay, if I'm going to lay stuff out, I'm like, all right, let's figure our opener. Let's figure our cutoff and comeback. And let's figure our finish. That That's it. You know, let's let's just kind of go with it out there. Because if you try and load me down with too much and I get out there, I'm not going to remember. Um and then second, I'm I'm gonna want to change it. Uh, well, I feel like if you lay it out too much though, then, um, where I I I think that's fine, but I think where you can get into trouble is if the crowd's not taking what you're giving, like you're gonna be less willing to adjust. Yeah, yeah, and and. That's something we pointed out is bad about um, the uh, what's going on with NXT is they're setting up everything ahead of time, and then they they can't adjust when something doesn't go right. Cause I, like I said, I feel like if we were out there and we were dying out there, it might be like, hey, Larry's in the second row. Why don't we? Why don't you go? Um, why don't you go fuck with him and get him like riled up? Like that'll get something going or hey like this isn't working why don't you just like kick me in the balls and like get some heat on me and start cheating yeah that was something that raven uh, i remember an interview that he did and he said that he he was at the stage of his career where he did not you know he he would go and work indies and he would be the face because he's the veteran he said but i don't like that because I wanted to have, um, you know, I, I can't call things as easily. I can't control and direct stuff as easily as a face. He said, but, you know, he, here he is. He's just, there's all kinds of stuff he would do because the crowd was into it. And he'd just be like, no, no, I, we talked about this, but no, we're doing this now. <clears throat> so... I just think like you have to have that flexibility because what if, what if like um, what if you do something and the crowd pops for it and you weren't expecting that and like you have this path that could get really over but you stick to your plan and it doesn't like get as much heat or what if they don't like what you're doing and you just like you're doubling down on it? Yeah, yeah. There's no adjusting that way. Well, we good for uh, we good for wrapping up. Okay, uh, that's why I couldn't. Matt, if you were talking, you got super quiet. I couldn't hear what you were saying. So, um. uh, no, uh, part of it I think is like my. That's okay. Um, so, general consensus: Survivor Series '88 recommend. Yes, high recommend. Uh, I would recommend. Yeah, uh, I, I would. It's a really fun show. It's lighthearted. It's like kind of like old school wrestling is lighthearted, but it's like it's it's not anything serious, but it's also it's it's kind of a brisk, fun show to watch. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that too. So hey, get out there and uh, you know you want a fun show to watch, get out there and watch it. Um, so 
we're going into we're going into the end of the year. Not sure where that's going to go from here. We're working on that, but we'll have a good time. Thank you, everybody, for being with us for this episode. We appreciate all of you listening, whether it's the week it drops or later on. Doesn't matter. We're just glad you're listening. And so this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth. We will catch you next time.